to the Cinema Matchups podcast. We are your hosts, Kim Kohler and Sean Rodenberg, and we are back for another five verse four matchup in our pick your all time favorite movie bracket challenge. So this week we have A League of Their Own, which is our fifth seed versus What Maisie Knew, which is our fourth seed. So getting into these movies, we have A League of Their Own, which comes in at a 78% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, has two Golden Globe nominations, one for original song and one for best actress Gina Davis, but didn't quite make it to the Oscars. And then we have What Maisie Knew, and that comes in at an 87% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Quite a few big stars in this movie, but no major award nominations or wins for this movie, but both very good movies regardless. So we will talk about both of these, go into their strengths and weaknesses, talk little details that made a big difference, talk about why this would be someone's favorite movie of all time, and then battle it out until we have one movie move on to the next round. So let's roll right into it and talk about strengths and weaknesses. And I'll let you pick where you want to start and we'll talk about strengths of one of these movies. Can we actually start with weaknesses? Because I genuinely want to talk about one of the weaknesses for A League of Their Own. Oh, plot twist. Sure, I guess. <laughs> also, I just want to apologize if anybody hears any weird background noise. It's very windy by us today and the city's making weird sounds. So <laughs> it's creaky. It's very creaky. We can't figure out quite what it is. But if you hear any weird background noises, that's what it is. So go on to weaknesses for A League of Their Own. Okay, so something that I find interesting about this movie is kind of the big arching theme of the movie that is they're pretty heavy handed with is the idea of feminism, right? And it's kind of weird watching because at the same time, it is a movie from 1992 and feminism just looks so different today than it does then. Yeah, women can do everything, but we're also going to call them ugly and slutty. In the movie, there's yes, yeah. yes. In the movie, there are characters where they make multiple jokes about how they're ugly, or uh, Madonna's character May, how she is promiscuous, and it's just so funny because that's not what feminism looks like today. Women can look however they want or be however promiscuous that they want because that's also in the name of feminism. And I just think this movie lands in such a weird time period. That it almost just feels odd to watch for the first time now. Well, and this is a movie, too, that is set in the 1940s. So looking at it as a movie with the perspective of what feminism looks like in the 1940s, which is almost non-existent, versus being made in the 90s, versus now watching it in 2021, I think is a very interesting way of looking at it. And... I grappled with the idea of taking some of the things that turned out to be my strengths into weaknesses. And let me explain that is that my strength for this movie is that you're cheering for these women to get more fans, but you're also so angry about the way they have to do it. They have to wear these short dresses. They have to start giving kisses for anybody who catches a foul ball. They have to start like promoting makeup and blotching their nose in between going up to bat and you get so angry about it and you're like, why didn't they do something more? But then it's the 1940s. So they can't do anything more. They have no voice. Women are historically shushed. It's hard enough to get people to come watch them because 
there's still this mentality that women aren't interesting enough and they're not interesting enough to watch play professional sports, which I still think exists today when you think about the WNBA and people's perceptions of that and what you hear about that. And in general, just some women athletes, you hear a lot of people shading women athletes who are fantastic. I mean, look at all the hate the Williams sisters have gotten through the years. Look at all the hate that Lolo Jones has gotten a lot of really, really great female athletes. So I think when I was looking at this, my first initial thought being from 2021 was the weakness here is that this is a movie about feminism, but they don't push hard enough for it. But then I was like, no, it's actually the strength of the movie because they can't push hard enough for it because it's the 1940s. What the hell are they supposed to do? Yeah, the time the times line up kind of weird just watching it in 2021. And I think if it gets made in 2021, at some point, Gina Davis's character, Dottie, is like, no, we won't be wearing the dresses. And there's like a big pushback on the dresses. Right. And then she's like, well, I'll play you for it, whoever it is. And hits like a home run off of Jimmy, who who's played by Tom Hanks. And then Tom Hanks is like, yep, these ladies are too good to not wear the dresses or something like that. But I think a scene like that gets thrown in there if it gets made today. You know what I mean? Sure. And I mean, this wouldn't get made today. This movie wouldn't this wouldn't happen today. I mean, women are now in professional sports. We see it creeping in more and more. We see women referees in Super Bowls. We see not enough. It's not where it needs to be right now, but we see the creeping in of this a lot more. And I think it's become a less taboo subject. There's still these very misogynistic men who watch these sporting events and still think women do not belong in that, which makes no fucking sense to me at all, because if you're good, you're good. It doesn't matter. But I think if you look at this now, if we were starting a major league female baseball league, I think there would still be some issues with some of the stigma attached to that now. But I think there wouldn't be this question of like them having to wear dresses and hurt themselves and all of these things. Like it's just a a huge departure from the 1940s as it should be. Well, isn't that interesting that things also haven't changed? Like we don't have a women's baseball league. Well, not that the actual major league baseball league is doing that well, right? With their viewer numbers going down, but even football, there is, there are women's leagues. You know what the most famous one is? The lingerie football league where they wear like skimpy outfits. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about that as I was just saying this, I was like, it would be much different today. But then I was like, but would it, I think women athletes are still selling skincare and makeup and you see male athletes selling car insurance and pizza and like no that's just Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal that's just Shaq yeah that's just him and Patrick Mahomes um but I think it is very different if you were to see like women in these major sports like you don't see a lot of women athletes getting recognition I think aside from Some of the bigger sporting companies, I think you see a lot of women in Nike commercials these days. I think you see a lot of women in Gatorade commercials. I think you see a lot of women in Adidas commercials, advertisements, things like that. I think we're getting there. But I do think that if you were to start this female baseball league, I think, again, look at the WNBA. Like you're not getting the same attendance at a WNBA game as you are an NBA game. And there's amazing players in these leagues. And so I think like 
in terms of advertisement and in terms of attendance, like what that would look like if we were starting like a female MLB, a female NFL that is not lingerie based. It is like women who want to come and play and are athletes and come and do this. On a side note, I just want to say I think a women's baseball league would actually do better than the current men's major league baseball. Because honestly, most of the men in major league baseball right now are really boring. Yeah, because all that it is now is pitching and hitting that. Well, it's always been pitching and hitting, but I'll take it a step further. And I can't believe I pushed this into a baseball podcast and I'm so sorry. But everything in baseball now is about you either get a home run or a strikeout. There's no like singles and doubles, really. I believe last year was even throughout the history of baseball. Last year, they broke the record for most home runs. And that's something that people have always said that they wanted to see more of is more home runs. And somehow baseball is still not as popular as it was when all the home run records were being broken. Because you don't have those big stars anymore. You don't have the Frank Thomases coming out to play. You don't have the Derek Cheaters. You don't have the A-Rods. Like, you don't have those people anymore. And I think part of it is because people just aren't interested in giving enough time to these players. And another part of it is that all of these players are being traded to team to team so quickly these days. And all of these teams, I feel like, are at the same time trying to do this rebuild of what their roster looks like by bouncing around people. So you don't have these guys who have been on a team for 20 plus years anymore or 10 plus years. Even you have all of this bouncing around and these fans aren't able to establish anything. Like, I mean, I'm a big white Sox fan and arguably like we have some good players now, but the last probably noted character character the last like big name was probably Chris Sale and people got really really excited about him started bringing the K-Zone things to games and then he was gone and so it's like people buy this jersey and then they're like okay what the fuck am I supposed to do with this now so I think like there's not a whole lot of continuity in these baseball stars like there used to be these guys used to stay on the team for years and they used to be big names and it's just not anymore yeah and it's still about these teams and not necessarily the stars where the NBA is a league about stars. You don't know who the play, what team the players play on, but you know what the players are. You know what they look like. You know who they are. LeBron James is on your TV 20 straight years. Agreed. And now we are getting very far away from what we were talking about. So (laughs) let's jump back into League of Their Own. So Sean talked about weakness. I talked about my strength. I'll go over to my weaknesses real quick because they're very small. And my first one is that one of the main characters is Kit, who is Dottie's sister. And Dottie and Kit go to play in in Rockford for this major league women's team together. And so... Kit is the younger sister and she looks about 30 in this movie, but she acts like a 30 year old trying to play a 12 year old. And it is so weird to me the way she talks and the way her mannerisms are. And the what it reminded me of is I don't know if you're going to know this reference, but there were skits on SNL where Amy Poehler played like a 10 year old at a sleepover. Yes. I already know. And she was like, Rick, 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 Rick. And was like really weird and obnoxious with the friend's dad. Right. Yes. Yes. yes, Yeah. It was, I think her stepdad or something. I don't know, but 
She was really obnoxious and she had on these braces and these pigtails and all these barrettes. And clearly Amy Poehler is a 20 to 30 year old woman on SNL playing this 10 year old. And that's what Kit felt like in this movie to me. That's fair. Was that she just felt like she was trying to act too young. And it wasn't that she was immature. It was like she was trying to act so young and immature and so naive and so fucking annoying sometimes. And it bothered me so much because I was like, why can't she just play this straight? Yeah, it felt like a character that was perpetually having their arms crossed going. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Like a, a 12 year old having a tantrum. So that was my weakness for this movie was that that really threw me off. OK, that's fair. I'm going to get into this. My strengths real quick. Baseball montages. Great. They do it twice in this movie. They do it when they're training and then when they're uh, kind of just going through their season and whoever's making baseball highlights. I realize that it doesn't matter to me. It can be Madonna. It can be Frank Thomas. It can be Sammy Sosa. Doesn't matter as long as they're catching the balls and flying all over the place. It's fun to me. So that's one of mine. And then the other one is I like that we get a lot from the supporting characters in this movie. It feels very balanced of a film. You know who the lead is. You know, Gina Davis and Tom Hanks are playing these lead characters, but you get so much from Rosie O'Donnell. You get so much from Madonna, who's very good in this movie. You get so much from some of these other little characters. I don't know the actors' names, but people who play like Marla and some of the other smaller people. It feels like a team. It feels like you know everyone in every position and they all matter and they all have a story. And they make sure you know that, too, in the credits. Yeah, because that's one thing that's really cool. And not going into little details right now, but I think that's a cool little detail of this movie. Not one that I had, but that in the credits they put like first base and then they put the character's name and then they put the actor's name. So they'll have like C, Dottie, Gina Davis. And it's really, really cool how they did that. And it felt very like a a roster. And that was fun. You want to go over to what Maisie knew? Yeah, let's talk about what Maisie knew and we'll start for strengths for that. So my biggest strength is just, I think, the entire story arc of this movie, which is how parental conflicts in childhood just make you cringe. And sitting here watching this movie, which is about a little girl with two parents who are in the middle of a custody battle who then remarry other people. And then these other people are caught up in taking care of her because her parents are deadbeats. Basically you have Julianne Moore who plays her mom, who is an alcoholic. She is just a mess. She's a former rock star who then goes back on tour, really has no organization in her life. And then her father is this businessman who travels all the time, is never really around and doesn't really take much interest in Maisie. So then they marry different people and these two different people, uh, Margot and Lincoln turn out to be the best people in her life. So I think it's so messy, this movie with just how these little things that Julianne Moore will say to her, like, Oh, your dad is doing this. He's awful. Fuck him. All of these things, like how this little girl who's probably six or seven in this movie is absorbing these things. And we see it a little bit towards the end when she doesn't want to go with her mom on the tour bus and wants to stay with Lincoln and Margot. But I think this movie ends on a happy note. 
But you can't help but sit and think of all of the trauma this child faced and all of the conflict she was put in the middle of and felt to be the cause of at such a young age. And I think that's the biggest strength of this movie because this is purely from a child's perspective without a child saying too much about it because she's six or seven and doesn't have the words to put to how these things make her feel right now. But she will later on in life and it's going to be messy. And I think you don't see many of these movies that are strictly from a very moldable mind of a child who isn't able to really stand up for anything. So you already took both my strengths in that. I'm so sorry. No, it, It is okay because I agree. I think one of the strengths of this movie is that we're following how Maisie is interacting with people and not necessarily how people will be interacting with each other. It's always Maisie and someone or Maisie and someone and someone. That's a great way to show how this movie is going. And the other one I have is the character dynamics of these adults where they're both good and bad. And you don't know how they're going to turn out. I think that's the thing about it. That's very interesting. Yeah. Like at first it'll be Julianne Moore who plays Susanna, her mom, and is bad mouthing her dad. And then her dad comes in and is like, hey, kiddo, what's up? Like, let's go. And you're like, oh, dad's the good guy. And you're like, dad's the good guy. And then dad's like, actually, I'm moving to London and you're not coming. Sorry. And you're like, oh, dad's the worst. He's abandoning her. (laughs) And then you're like, all right, maybe mom will redeem herself. And then mom leaves her at a restaurant without any notice to anybody. And then you're like, mom's awful. And then here comes Lincoln, mom's new boyfriend turned husband, played by Alexander Skarsgård. And you're like, oh, this guy's some deadbeat 20 year old. And then he turns out to be amazing. And then you have Margot, who was her nanny. Who starts good. Who starts good. And then is dad's girlfriend. Still doesn't make her bad. And then you're but like. At one point, Lincoln brings Macy to Margot and says, hey, can you watch her? I have to go to work. And she says, that's not my problem. Yeah. Which is a poor choice of words. And now Margot's the bad guy. Margot was stressed. But. Yeah, you're just wondering where all of these characters are going to be in Maisie's life and what it's going to look like. And then, like I said, at the end, you have Lincoln and Margot who end up being or hinting at at least going to be like her family and her kind of primary caretakers because these are people that love her and people that feel comfortable with her. But it is an interesting way to look at a movie and wonder, like, who is going to be this rock for her? Where where do all these characters land? Yeah, no, it's really good. Going into weaknesses, I only have one weakness for this movie, and it's this weird slow-mo they do on two occasions in this movie. Is yours the same thing? No, but I didn't notice it. Okay, it's so weird. So it happens twice. It happens once when Lincoln and Maisie are walking down the street and run into Julianne Moore and some dude. And she's still married to Lincoln at this point in time. And then she's like, give me my kid and trying to grab Maisie. And they do this weird slow-mo, like as they're standing in the middle of the street, but nothing's happening. So it was a weird placement. And then they do it at the very end when Maisie's running down the dock to the boat. And that one made a little bit more sense, but... I just think the use of slow-mo in movies that aren't action movies is just not really needed sometimes. It's kind of odd. And this one just wasn't executed well and felt very sporadically placed. And it made me feel weird watching this movie. That is fair. Um, My weakness, I couldn't really think of a weakness, but that would probably be mine. Um, But something I just wanted to note in here is 
her parents have enough money, right? Why not retire? They have a ton of money. Exactly, right? Because J- Susanna is looking for the thrill of the chase and she wants to be Attention. admired and recognized and she wants to relive her rock star days because her youth is slipping away from her. And dad, who is perpetually on the phone all the time. And just wants to bang teenagers. Jesus. Over the age of 18 teenagers. Okay, thank you. (laughs) But he just wants to go and hang out with these younger women and travel and do him. He he doesn't want to be a dad. Something I have in here is that there's a little correlation between these adults' occupations and how they treat Maisie, right? It's a fun little detail for segueing into that. Uh, We can. I have something else for a little detail, but I just think that's fun. Uh, Something fun to note with the idea of her parents having enough money to be able to take care of her for the rest of her life and still treat her as a second option. Okay. Well, let's uh, segue into little details that made a big difference where we talk about small, maybe tiny scenes, tiny little nods in movies that really, really make us feel like it becomes more bigger picture than it was intended to be. Okay. So mine is that this movie gives you a lot of the little details of the movie without hitting them over your head like you're an idiot. For example, the biggest example I can think of is when we find out that Beale, her father, is seeing Margot. And we note this because she sees them together in a hallway kind of away from everyone, right? When they're at court, yeah. They don't have to tell us that these two people are going to be together. They've shown it very subtly without being like, they're going to end up together because that's how the movie goes. What Maisie New just has gives you these little details so subtly and does not have to straight up tell you what is happening or how these characters are interacting. They don't have to tell you that mom is seeing another man. They just stick another man beside her and you're expected to know that she is unfaithful to her now husband. And there are some movies where they would kind of go through that and almost dissect that part. And I like that this movie feels like it doesn't have to. Well, and it feels very authentic to, again, putting this in a child's perspective that one day she sees mom and she doesn't put together the context clues of mom's hanging out with this guy at parties and we notice him as an audience. But Maisie doesn't put two and two together that she's ever met this guy before because she doesn't pay attention to him because she's a child. And then all of a sudden mom's married to this guy and she has to form a relationship with this guy. And I think having it be so small and almost abrupt where we know what's going on is also a nod to the fact that Maisie's life is so chaotic and she doesn't know what's going on because Margot has to sit and explain that she now lives with her dad because she is going to get married to her dad. And is that okay? And Maisie then has to process that as a young child, whereas we don't have to process that. We just know based on those little nods you're talking about. My little detail for what Maisie knew is about her caretaker. So after Susanna and Beale are in the process of getting a divorce or separated, Maisie is kind of back and forth between their houses. Dad gets sole custody, but has visitations with mom on weekends. So at one point in time, Maisie goes over to mom and mom is always gone throughout the day doing God knows what. And they get this new nanny because her nanny used to be Margot before Margot married dad. And so they get this new 
nanny, who's an older lady. She's sleeping all the time. She's just basically not even there. And Maisie's like, I don't like her. And this is the only person in this movie that Julianne Moore ever comes to bat for, ever comes to stand up and say, no, she's great. Give her a chance. And it's because she's so non-threatening because when Maisie starts to warm up to Lincoln, mom's new husband, mom gets jealous and mom gets really threatened by this relationship. Same as with Margot. When Margot and Maisie develop a relationship, mom gets upset about this relationship. And I like that it was purposely handpicked, it seems, by mom to pick this old, unassuming lady who is half awake through life, who's so non-threatening, has nothing that could ever threaten Julianne more. And I thought that was a really cool little detail for this character arc of Susanna. Again, something very subtle that you picked up on that and I picked up on that, but they don't have to say it. Right. And I like that about this movie. Going into A League of Their Own, my little detail for this is that I think we talked about this watching the movie. They have a reunion, basically. Okay, we do have the same little detail. (laughs) They have a reunion for all of these women that played in this league years and years later. And so they have aged quite significantly. I would say they're in their like 70s, 80s by this point in time. And at first we couldn't tell because they use the voices of the main actresses. So, for instance, for Dottie's character, they use Gina Davis's voice, but they use a different actress to play Gina Davis as an older woman. But they look so much alike. The casting they did to get these older women who look like younger Rosie O'Donnell, who look like younger Kit is amazing. Older. Older. That's what I meant. Is amazing. Because for a while we were like, are they in makeup? Is this really good old age makeup? But no, they are two totally different people. And I've never seen that executed that well in a movie before. I have the exact same little detail. And I was kind of trying to figure out how they did it. And the best I could come up with is in 1992 technology, they probably have some database where they can put Gina Davis's face into something with a bunch of actresses and find like the closest one and be like, you're hired. Right. Why don't they do that for all movies then? Because we got to see if Robert De Niro can look young and do the kicking scene in that movie. (laughs) I think that the closest they've been to it was when they tried to cast the uh, younger Harrison Ford for solo and tried to find people that looked like him and they didn't even do that well on that. Yeah. This is executed phenomenally. This is really, really good. Even if you want to just go online and look at side by side pictures of like the older and younger versions of the main characters in a league of their own, it's very impressive. Yeah. The only one that doesn't look alike that I noticed when I was going through them is Madonna. Madonna's character. Yeah. She doesn't look like her, but that's okay because Rosie's character, Gina Davis, the lady who plays Kit, Incredible, really incredible, especially Dottie and Kit. They have a moment together where they're at Cooperstown and they are walking through this exhibit that they just opened and they see one another and Kit has like 800 kids with her. And it's very fun because they look just like the younger versions of themselves. And yeah, it it blew me away. It was really cool. All right. Last category. All right. Why would this be someone's favorite movie of all time? And we'll stay with A League of Their Own. And 
I think you just love baseball. You love baseball. You have to like baseball, at least, I think, to enjoy baseball movies. Like it. You don't have to love it. But That's I th- fair. But I think this person likes baseball, loves baseball. I know they love baseball. Um, And I think especially if you're a fan of like the Cubs, fan of Wrigley, fan of some of this early kind of Chicagoland historic baseball, it's really cool. But I think you also really like female-led films and that's kind of the basis of that. And you just get the magic and nostalgia of like America's pastime of just that feeling of them walking onto this field for the first time. I think you can feel that same passion that they felt. And then this is one of your favorite movies. It hits everything, right? It's funny. It's endearing. It has like these little moments of friendship and breaking barriers where it can get pretty serious, but also makes these jokes that will make you. uh, I mean, I'm not like a laugh out loud person when I watch movies, but I definitely giggled a couple times watching this. And like you said, baseball, that's the nice neat little package that they put it in you can be like baseball movie right there and a really good one at that and that's why it would be someone's favorite movie it's a it's a good baseball movie that has all of these little layers in it and it might be your favorite if you of course love america's treasure tom hanks yeah i mean he's not scoring touchdowns or eating ice cream or lieutenant danning but he's fun in this movie though he plays just like a fun drunk guy i mean he's not super fun at first because he's really kind of awful but he's he's really funny in this movie and he's charismatic tom hanks and who can't love that and i think i turned to you while we were watching it I was like, why doesn't Tom Hanks do more comedic stuff? Because he's actually really good at it. He's great. Doesn't get the awards. We all know the answer. (laughs) He's got to pick up those dramas. All right. Going over to what Maisie knew, what would make this someone's favorite movie? And I think for this one, you like a good child development story. And I don't blame you for that. I love watching movies with like a really good child development arc. And I think you really enjoy a happy ending after watching a movie that's just full of absolute dysfunction and its characters. Yeah, I think all of that. And plus it comes in at under an hour and a half. It's very it's a very full movie that you can watch in a kind of short amount of time. Yeah. And it it all goes back to relational issues between characters. And I think if you enjoy that and enjoy a little bit more substance in seeing people develop as people and less into like the external circumstances that happen, then you really like this movie because it is all about these like individual journeys that each of these characters are on and how it affects this little girl. And I think both of these are great and I could see why both of these would be somebody's favorite movie of all time. But we can only pick one. We can only pick one. And this was really hard because we truly enjoyed watching both of these movies. Um, I think this is probably one of the closer ones that we've had through this bracket challenge so far. But nevertheless, we have decided on one that will move on to the next round. So on the count of three, we will reveal what that is. Are you ready? Yep. Three, two, one. What, what Maisie knew. knew. What Maisie knew moves on to the next round. A really great movie. 
uh, very sad at parts, but does have a really nice, happy ending. A League of Their Own classic, one that I had never seen. I think Sean had seen maybe a long, long time ago. Didn't quite remember it. So it was really great watching it. Really great baseball nostalgia movie. Easy, easy watch. Um, So something really light that you could watch and pick up at any given time. But really great movie suggestions this round. But What Maisie Knew does move on to the next round. And that closes out our four verse five seeds. So we are going to go into our six V three seeds next. And that will bring us to our next matchup that will come out on Monday, March 22nd. And this will be a tough one for both of us because we will be watching Moulin Rouge, which is our sixth seed versus School of Rock, which is our third seed. And the fun thing about these movies is these are the two movies in this entire bracket that Sean and I have both seen multiple times. And I think you might, if you know us, know which one each of us leans towards. But these are two movies that we really like and we know that. And we both agreed at the beginning of this because we had multiple people suggest these that, all right, let's put down our biases. Let's watch these movies with fresh eyes and let's talk about it in as unbiased of a way as we can in this next episode. I'll, I'll try my best. We both will try our best. I know that both of these are are going to be really tough and I'm curious to see how it goes. Okay, real quick before we go, next week, would we consider both of those musicals? I guess technically. I don't think School of Rock is considered a musical, but... They sure do sing a lot of songs. They turned it into a musical. They turned both of these into a musical. Okay, both musicals then. Yeah. So, well, anyways, we will see how that turns out next week. So make sure you tune in on Monday, March 22nd. When that episode drops, you can find that episode in the same place you're listening to this episode or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, a few other little streaming sites. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Cinema Matchups. We post content there quite often. We try to post quite often. We would appreciate a follow, appreciate you guys following along with us. We love hearing your guys' insights. We love hearing you guys enjoying this podcast. And we look forward to making more and more of these for you. So for this week for The Cinema Matchups, we are Kim Kohler and Sean Rodenberg. And we will see you next time.